Section 8 of the Satyricon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denny Sayers. The Satyricon by Gaius Petronius Arbiter. Translated by W. C. Firebaugh. Volume 2. The Dinner of Trimalchio. Chapters 53 through 59. Chapter the 53rd. But his passion for dancing was interrupted at this stage by a stenographer who read aloud, as if he were reading the public records, On the 7th of the Calends of July, on Trimalchio's estates near Cume, were born thirty boys and forty girls. Five hundred pecks of wheat were taken from the threshing floors and stored in the granaries. Five hundred oxen were put to yoke. The slave Mithridates was crucified on the same date for cursing the genius of our master, Gaius. On said date, ten million sesterces were returned to the vaults, as no sound investment could be found. On said date, a fire broke out in the gardens at Pompeii said fire originating in the house of Nasta, the bailiff. What's that? demanded Trimalchio. When were the gardens at Pompeii bought for me? Why, last year, answered the stenographer. For that reason the item has not appeared in the accounts. Trimalchio flew into a rage at this. If I'm not told within six months of any real estate that's bought for me, he shouted, I forbid its being carried to my account at all. Next, the edicts of the Aediles were read aloud, and the wills of some of his foresters, in which Trimalchio was disinherited by a codicil, then the names of his bailiffs, and that of a freedwoman who had been repudiated by a night watchman, after she had been caught in bed with a bath attendant, that of a porter banished to Benoit, a steward who was standing trial, and lastly the report of a decision rendered in the matter of a lawsuit between some valets. When this was over with, some rope dancers came in, and a very boresome fool stood holding a ladder, ordering his boy to dance from rung to rung, and finally, at the top, all this to the music of popular airs. Then the boy was compelled to jump through blazing hoops while grasping a huge wine-jar with his teeth. Trimalchio was the only one who was much impressed by these tricks, remarking that it was a thankless calling, and adding that in all the world there were just two things which could give him acute pleasure, rope-dancers and horn-blowers. All other entertainments were nothing but nonsense. I bought a company of comedians, he went on, but I preferred for them to put on Atalane farces, and I ordered my flute-player to play Latin airs only. Chapter the Fifty-Fourth While our noble Gaius was still talking away, the boy slipped and fell, alighting upon Trimalchio's arm. The whole household cried out, as did also the guests, not that they bore such a coarse fellow any good will, as they would gladly have seen his neck broken, but because such an unlucky ending to the dinner might make it necessary for them to go into mourning over a 
total stranger. As for Trimalchio, he groaned heavily and bent over his arm as though it had been injured. Doctors flocked around him, and Fortunata was among the very first. Her hair was streaming, and she held a cup in her hand, and screamed out her grief and unhappiness. As for the boy who had fallen, he was crawling at our feet, imploring pardon. I was uneasy for fear his prayers would lead up to some ridiculous theatrical climax, for I had not yet been able to forget that cook who had forgotten to bow that hog, and so for this reason I began to scan the whole dining-room very closely, to see if an automaton would come out through the wall, and all the more so, as a slave was beaten for having bound up his master's bruised arm in white wool, instead of purple. Nor was my suspicion unjustified, for, in place of punishment, Trimalchio ordered that the boy be freed, so that no one could say that so exalted a personage had been injured by a slave. Chapter the Fifty-Fifth we applauded his action, and engaged in a discussion upon the instability of human affairs, which many took sides. A good reason, declared Trimalchio, why such an occasion shouldn't slip by without an epigram. He called for his tablets at once, and after racking his brains for a little while, he got off the following. The unexpected will turn up. Our whole lives fortune bungles up. Falernian, boy, hand round the cup. This epigram led up to a discussion of the poets, and for a long time the greatest praise was bestowed upon Mopsus the Thracian, until Trimalchio broke in with, Professor, I wish you'd tell me how you'd compare Cicero and Publilius. I'm of the opinion that the first was the more eloquent, but that the last moralizes more beautifully, for what can excel these lines? Insatiable luxury crumbles the walls of war. To satiate gluttony, peacocks in coops are brought, arrayed in gold plumage like Babylon tapestry rich. Numidian guinea-fowls, capons, all perish for thee, and even the wandering stork, welcome guest that he is, the emblem of sacred maternity, slender of leg, and glocktering exile from winter, herald of spring, still finds his last nest in the cauldron of gluttony base. India surrenders her pearls, and what mean they to thee? That thy wife, decked with sea-spoils, adorning her breast and her head, on the couch of a stranger lies lifting adulterous legs. The emerald green, the glass bauble, what mean they to thee, or the fire of the ruby, except that pure chastity shine from the depth of the jewels? In garments of woven wind, clad our brides might as well take their stand, their game naked to stalk, as seek it in gossamer tissue, transparent as air. Chapter the Fifty-Sixth What should we say was the hardest calling after literature, he asked. 
that of the doctor or that of the money changer i would say the doctor because he has to know what poor devils have got in their insides and when the fevers do but i hate them like the devil for my part because they're always ordering me on a diet of duck soup and the money changers because he's got to be able to see the silver through the copper plating when we come to the dumb beasts the oxen and sheep are the hardest worked the oxen thanks to whose labor we have bread to chew on the sheep because their wool tricks us out so fine it's the greatest outrage under the sun for people to eat mutton and then wear a tunic then there's the bee in my opinion they're divine insects because they puke honey although there are folks that claim that they bring it from jupiter and that's the reason they sting too for wherever you find a sweet you'll find a bitter too he was just putting the philosophers out of business when lottery tickets were passed around in a cup a slave boy assigned to that duty read aloud the names of the souvenirs silver ham a ham was brought in with some silver vinegar cruets on top of it cervical something soft for the neck a piece of the cervix neck of a sheep was brought in sarasapia after wit and catumelia insult we were given must wafers and an apple melon and a phalix contus pori leeks and persica he picked up a whip and a knife passeres sparrows and a fly trap the answer was raisins uva passa and attic honey senatoria a dinner toga and forensia business dress he handed out a piece of meat suggestive of dinner and a notebook suggestive of business canale chased by a dog and pedale pertaining to the foot a hare and a slipper were brought out lamfrey morena and a letter he held up a mouse mus and a frog rana tied together and a bundle of beets beta the greek letter beta we laughed long and loud there were a thousand of these jokes more or less which have now escaped my memory chapter the fifty-seventh but ascyltos threw off all restraint and ridiculed everything throwing up his hands he laughed until the tears ran down his cheeks at last one of trimalchio's fellow freedmen the one who had the place next to me flew into a rage what's the joke sheep's head he bawled don't our hosts swell entertainment suit you you're richer than he is i suppose and used to dining better as i hope the guardian spirit of this house will be on my side i'd have stopped his bleating long ago if i'd been sitting next to him he's a peach he is laughing at others some vagabond or other from who knows where some night-pad who's not worth his own piss just let me piss a ring around him and he wouldn't know where to run to i ain't easy riled no by hercules i ain't but worms breed and tender flesh look at him laugh what the hell's he got to laugh at 
Is his family so damned fine-haired? So, you're a Roman knight. Well, I'm a king's son. How's it come that you've been a slave, and you'll ask because I put myself into service, because I'd rather be a Roman citizen than a tax-paying provincial? And now I hope that my life will be such that no one can jeer at me. I'm a man among men. I take my stroll bareheaded, and owe no man a copper cent. I never had a summons in my life, and no one ever said to me, in the forum, pay me what you owe me. I've bought a few acres, and saved up a few dollars, and I feed twenty bellies, and a dog. I ransom my bedfellow, so no one could wipe his hands on her bosom. A thousand dinars it cost me, too. I was chosen priest of Augustus without paying the fee, and I hope that I won't need to blush in my grave after I'm dead. But you're so busy that you can't look behind you. You can spot a louse on someone else, all right, but you can't see the tick on yourself. You're the only one that thinks we're so funny. Look at your professor. He's older than you are, and we're good enough for him, but you're only a brat with the milk still in your nose, and all you can prattle is ma or moo. You're only a clay pot, a piece of leather soaked in water, softer and slipperier, but none the better for that. You've got more coin than we have, have you? Then eat two breakfasts and two dinners a day. I'd rather have my reputation than riches for my part, and before I make an end of this, who ever dunned me twice? In all the forty years I was in service, no one could tell whether I was free or a slave. I was only a long-haired boy when I came to this colony, and the townhouse was not built then. I did my best to please my master, and he was a digniferous and majestical gentleman whose nail parings were worth more than your whole carcass. I had enemies in his house, too, who would have been glad to trip me up, but I swam the flood, thanks to his kindness. Those are the things that try your mettle, for it's as easy to be born a gentleman as to say, come here. Well, what are you gaping at now, like a billy-goat in a vetch-field? Chapter the Fifty-Eighth Giton, who had been standing at my feet, and who had for some time been holding in his laughter, burst into an uproarious guffaw at this last figure of speech, and when Ascyltus's adversary heard it, he turned his abuse upon the boy. "'What's so funny, you curly-headed onion?' he bellowed. "'Are the Saturnalia here? I'd like to know. Is it December now? When did you pay your twentieth? What's this to you, you gallows bird, you crow's meat? I'll call the anger of Jupiter down on you, and that master of yours, who don't keep you in better order. If I didn't respect my fellow freedmen, I'd give you what is coming to you right here on the spot, as I hope to get my belly full of bread, I would. We'll get along well enough, but those that can't control you are fools, like master, like man's, a true saying. I can hardly hold myself in, and I'm not hot-headed by nature. But once let me get a start, 
and I don't care two cents for my own mother. All right, I'll catch you in the street, you rat, you toadstool. May I never grow an inch up or down if I don't push your master into a dunghill, and I'll give you the same medicine. I will, by Hercules, I will, no matter if you call down Olympian Jupiter himself. I'll take care of your eight-inch ringlets and your two-cent master into the bargain. I'll have my teeth into you. Either you'll cut out the laughing, or I don't know myself. Yes, even if you had a golden beard, I'll bring the wrath of Minerva down on you and on the fellow that first made a come here out of you. No, I never learned geometry or criticism or other foolishness like that, but I know my capital letters, and I can divide any figure by a hundred, be it in asses, pounds, or sesterces. Let's have a showdown. You and I will make a little bet. Here's my coin. You'll soon find out that your father's money was wasted on your education, even if you do know a little rhetoric. How's this? What part of us am I? I come far, I come wide. Now, guess me. Hmm. I'll give you another. What part of us runs but never moves from its place? Hmm. What part of us grows but always grows less? But you scurry around and are as flustered and fidgeted as a mouse in a piss-pot. Shut up and don't annoy your betters, who don't even know that you've been born. Don't think that I'm impressed by those boxwood armlets that you did your mistress out of. Okupo will back me. Let's go into the forum and borrow money. Then you'll see whether this iron ring means credit. Bah! A draggled fox is a fine sight, ain't it? I hope I never get rich and die decently so that the people will swear by my death if I don't hound you everywhere with my toga turned inside out. And the fellow that taught you such manners did a good job, too. A chattering ape, all right. No schoolmaster. We were better taught. Is everything in its place? The master would ask. Go straight home, and don't stop and stare at everything, and don't be impudent to your elders. Don't loiter along, looking in at the shops. No second raiders come out of that school. I'm what you see, and I thank the gods it's all due to my own cleverness. Chapter the Fifty-Ninth Ascyltos was just starting in to answer this indictment, when Trimalchio, who was delighted with his fellow freedman's tirade, broke in, Cut out the bickering, and let's have things pleasant here. Let up on the young fellow, Hermeros. He's hot-blooded, so you ought to be more reasonable. The loser's always the winner in arguments of this kind. And, as for you, even when you were a young punk, you used to go, Coco, Coco, like a hen after a rooster. But you had no pep. Let's get to better business, and start the fun all over again, and watch the Homerists. A troop filed in immediately, and clashed spears against shields. Trimalchio sat himself up on his cushion, and intoned in Latin, from a book, 
while the actors, in accordance with their conceited custom, recited their parts in the Greek language. There came a pause, presently, and you don't know, any of you, the plot of the skit they're putting on, do you? he asked. Diomedes and Ganymede were two brothers, and Helen was their sister. Agamemnon ran away with her, and palmed off a doe on Diana, in her place. So Homer tells us how the Trojans and Parentines fought among themselves. Of course, Agamemnon was victorious, and gave his daughter Iphigenia to Achilles for a wife. This caused Ajax to go mad, and he'll soon make the whole thing plain to you. The Homerist raised a shout as soon as Trimalchio had done speaking, and as the whole familia stepped back, a boiled calf with a helmet on its head was brought in on an enormous platter. Ajax followed and rushed upon it with drawn sword, as if he were insane. He made passes with the flat, and again with the edge, and then, collecting the slices, he skewered them, and much to our astonishment, presented them to us on the point of his sword. End of section 8